you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Well, welcome to the, I think this is the 22nd time we played in Philadelphia. And I don't know how many of y'all have been along for the ride, but we've had some great times, great memories at the, at the Spectrum. Made in America, on the concourse, all kind of memories from Philadelphia. And then, um, but I do remember, I, I think the first time we played, it was July 12th, I believe, 91, 92, something like that. And we played, uh, you know, we headlined this little club called Dobbs, J.C. Dobbs, is it? And they, uh, I think they just closed the place a couple months ago, so we shed a tear on that one because we, uh, we were glad we put some sweat equity in that place. And, uh, but now, uh, so we headlined that night, we played, I think, 11 songs. And so tonight, in honor of that, we're gonna, we're gonna play, 11, well, maybe at least 12, maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, 20, 25, can I get a 27? Let me hear 28, 29. You in the back, 30. Can I get a 31? 32. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and today we are covering the philadelphia 2016 show no not that show but the first night where they didn't have to play a full album to actually get the crowd involved and invested but we love both shows this show is phenomenal of course the 10 show is momentous but i think and we always love to do this. We always love to give credit to the little guy, the show that maybe people aren't paying attention to because it gets overshadowed by another show. And this is exactly what we have today. And that's a big part of the conversation early on is just that it wasn't the 10 show, but there are some really, really cool things that happened this night. And Philadelphia is a big city. Philadelphia is usually one of the best crowds. So we'll get to talking about all that and what makes this just as good 
of a show the night that followed. Especially thanks to somebody that's going to join us in a couple of minutes, Scott McQueen, for requesting this one. We always like those requests from kind of the underdog shows. And this is what this episode is going to be, an underdog episode. So get ready. We're excited for this one. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, you like these shows too, don't you? I do. And this was definitely well received. Like when, because we got into this one, because the last couple of shows we've done have definitely not been crowd shows. And according to Pearl Jam Twitter, one of them didn't even happen. But, <laughs> you know, we talked about, you know, Sendai last week, which is kind of the anti Philadelphia show where you're not going to get the big crowd. It's not the celebration that this show becomes. And then Maui before that was a, a really a kind of a smaller crowd. So it had been a few weeks since we'd done one with like a rowdy crowd that's like up for it and doing the sing-alongs and doing the chants and the call and response. So it was good to get back into one of these shows and talk about it. I was definitely happy to hear it. Yeah, the timing was right. You're right. The timing was right for a show like this. And it kind of, you know, not to say that listening to those shows kind of brings you down because it doesn't bring you down. It's just you're digging more into, yeah, the research and, you know, kind of studying it a little more. This you can just listen to on repeat and just be entertained and love every song as it keeps going on. Yeah, this is a great show, but obviously the elephant in the room here, it not being the 10 show. So... I mean, where do we dictate conversation from there? Because it's kind of like immediately when you hear like once even flow alive, this show is completely forgotten about. It does tend to get overshadowed. We talked about this a few weeks ago too, like some of the night ones that got overshadowed by the epic night twos in their history. That's an ongoing thread throughout Pearl Jam's live history. But I think they realized that. I think, you know, Ed, by this point in 2016, he knew what they were going to do the next night. That's why you get Once as an opener here. You get Oceans, probably the rarest 10 song. They're going to break out just to get through it and, and see how it goes. But I think, too, he went out of his way to make this show special and to add some rare songs in and stuff they hadn't played in years and years and years. Some stuff that hasn't even been played since this show. He went out of his way to make sure that this was going to be one to remember for the people who were there so that when they saw what happened the next night that they wouldn't be like, oh, we got screwed, you know, so they can look back on this and be like, hey, we had a good show too on night one. I think there's definitely some of that going on here. Yeah, that's a great balance to have between the two of them. And sometimes in big cities, it, it doesn't have that because it does feel like the night two is a to be continued in a way. And I don't know if you necessarily have that because I think that night two is so monumentous that I just don't think they're really together in a way. I think they're almost separated because of how big it is. But it kind of ends up being like when you finish off with indifference, you know that, okay, well, the next night is definitely going to finish off or probably going to finish off on Leadbetter. So, like, it's kind of the way of like, okay, picking out what they didn't play for night two. They didn't play Daughter at the show. Night two probably had Daughter, like things like that. But it didn't really have that idea. And going back to what you were saying there, I'm going to share this now and I'm going to share the other part of this a little bit later because it does make sense so their sound check included some of the rarest stuff that you'll ever hear at a pearl jam show that kind of would tee them into picking the songs that they did for the show so they checked rival they checked of the girl 
parting ways. Maybe that in their head is a little bit of like, hey, when are we going to do this album? We're doing this album soon? Okay, let's get this out of the way. Around the Bend and Parachutes and also You Are. Yeah. That means that just, again, goes to show that they were thinking about even adding some rarer stuff. Just trying to make this one that people would remember that they could look back on and it would match up to what Night 2 was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Now, it's interesting because we got Scott to request this one. We thank him for doing so. And we talked to him and we're going to put the episode, the full episode out on Patreon later this week. We're going to run some bites here, but it's interesting because he didn't get to go tonight too. So we get to hear a little bit of what his story and reaction was. So let's play it right here and give you a little bit of Scott McQueen and his story from this night. Yeah, I put in for both nights. I put this as a preference. I wasn't as an informed as a fan as I am now. Listen to you guys. I know the second night's better, but I put in as this is my primary choice and the second night as my second choice. I, I wish I'd reversed it now, but yeah, I got my first choice. My wife and I went down. I had a great night at the show, but we, we missed on some history with the second night, but you know, this was still one to remember. Did you like have an expectation after this show, which was a great show? It really is a great show. And it should be a show that people outside of Philadelphia should listen to more often and respect more often because, again, it's overshadowed by one of the biggest shows that's happened in the last 10 years. But did you think that they would be able to top what you saw that night? No, that's a, I mean, from the start all the way through the encore, the, the start was, you know, a lot of energy that was exhausted by the time that the first encore came around. So I left the night thinking it was a great show. I didn't realize how many rarities were played until a couple of days later, looking back on it. But, you know, a lot of songs I hadn't heard ever and so, some haven't been played since. So, yeah, I thought it was a great show. What was it like in the building? You talk about the crowd. What was it like, you know, getting was, in there and. Yeah, it was it was a typical crazy Philly crowd. Not as crazy as the one, the, the Camden pregame show or, or a couple episodes back, but. There's a bar right there called Xfinity Live where everybody goes. You, you go before the concert and everybody meets up there. So we met up there. With my wife and I met with some friends, went there, and then you can just walk right over to the, the venue. We had GA tickets, so we were standing in there. We started out pretty close. We got in kind of early, so we got up pretty close to the stage. But then as the crowd filled in, you know, we moved back a little bit because it was, it was getting pretty tight in there. But the crowd was rowdy, as you can hear in the in the clips, um, which is typical yeah. for a Philly show. Everybody's amped up and, and ready to go. Yeah, talk more about the crowd for sure, because it felt like they were on for the whole entire night, especially it felt like on court two is where the party was turned up, and it seemed like the perfect kind of situation to be in live, especially in the pit. I agree. The, the second encore um, was great, but I thought even during the first set, do the evolution sticks out to me. The crowd was going nuts. Uh, mind your manners. You know, some of those runs early where the energy was just, it felt like they just kept going song to song. I didn't realize how much he spoke in between songs until I listened to it back a little bit, but it just kept like, felt like the energy was going song to song and it was intense the whole time. The crowd was into it. It felt like he didn't get a break the whole first set, which was great. What else performance-wise did you enjoy from this night? Because there's a lot to pick from. So there was a transition, and, and you know, back the, 
2016, I hadn't considered myself a, a big fan, but not sort of a hardcore fan. Now I listen to your podcast. So I'm definitely way more of an educated Pearl Jam fan and more of a hardcore fan. So back then, I there was a transition from Wishlist to Love Boat Captain, and there was like a kind of a cool intro. I, I didn't know what that was at the time. And then I went back and when I was listening to it, you know, after the show, that I think that was a really cool moment in the show with Wishlist. And then there was a dedication in there. But there was probably like 30 seconds to a minute of sort of just an improv into Love Boat Captain that I thought was really cool. In My Tree is one of my favorites. I know, John, you're a big In My Tree fan. So I, oh, yeah, I, I, sure. I liked that when I was there. And then I always love to see Do the Evolution live. It's what, you know, it just brings the energy out to the crowd. Given the Fly is always one I've been lucky enough to see most of the times it shows. So those are just, were awesome to see when we were there. We didn't get the like legit reaction afterwards, the day after 429. When you heard that, as best as your memory can recall, what do you remember like talking to people about or talking to your wife about? Like what kind of went down in the aftermath? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember almost exactly. We stayed so down by the stadiums, there used to be a, a naval yard where they built navy ships. I think they still do some work there, but there it's more of like a business center now. So we stayed at a hotel down there. You could walk right from the concert right to the hotel. And I had forgotten my glasses there. So I had to drive back down. I for some reason I couldn't go back down that the next day. And I was driving down and one of my friends called me and said, Did you see, you know, that they just played ten the show? Because he was at this show too. We we met up before at the Xfinity Center for Drinks. And I was already in a bad mood because, you know, I Philly is a good hour drive when when traffic's good. And I had to drive all the way back down there, grab my glasses that I forgot. So it was, it was like a moment I was like, man, I just I felt like I missed something important. It was kind of a depressing moment to hear that. Once again, a big thank you goes out to Scott. Great oh, yeah. story great stuff and like we told you like these are the kind of shows that we just absolutely love to do and you know you can request all the wrigley shows and the ballpark shows and the big arena shows in the world but everybody knows them so picking out a show like this that is the other show quote unquote yeah it makes it kind of stand out a little bit and makes it fun to to kind of prove doubters wrong and all that yeah, we, we talked a little bit about the rarities. We talked about some of the songs that they were planning to play. And later in the episode, we'll tell you about what was scratched off the set list, which is in some part just as eye-opening as what they did in Soundcheck. But we also asked a series of questions to our Twitter and Facebook folks this week about seeing rare songs and wanting to know, okay, what did you see and how many times and where and all that. And like people have big lists. I happen to have a big list of pretty rare stuff and everybody has their own collection, I suppose. And we took it a step further and we have to thank Christian Anderson on Facebook for this because he kind of created a little bit of a, a formula. We're calling it the rarity ranking score. So RRS, if you want to shorten that up. And the way that it goes about is that you take the three songs that you've heard that have the least amount of plays and add them all up. And then that's your RRS. Now, if you are somebody that's seen a song more than once, that is part of the rare songs, you're able to deduct a point. And you're also able, if like, let's get to Bugs, because Bugs has three. 
if you've seen all three versions of Bugs, then your total point score would be zero because your second one, I know a lot of people got confused about this, but the second extra song that you've seen is worth double the points. So if that makes any sense at all. But let's, before we read everybody else's and get impressed by everybody else's, let's share ours. John, you want to go first? Yeah, mine's not going to be as good, obviously. I've still seen some very good stuff, you know. I've been to 12 shows. It didn't make the top three, but my claim to fame that I always go to is I've seen Of the Earth twice in my 12 shows, which is very, very cool and mind-boggling for the shows that I've been to. But I think the rarest one I've got is Black, Red, Yellow with seven, Let Me Sleep with eight, and then No Way back from uh, Atlanta 98, which only has 12. So that puts me at 27. So as we kind of mentioned before, and we were talking about the calculations before we did the episode, that's that's a little over par. You kind of like bogeyed on that, but that's, that's totally okay. Yeah, yeah, right. If we are counting, because obviously the lower the score, the better here. So we're playing. I, by I, I just want to make the cut and play on Sunday. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. Get your portion of the pot and just head on home. Yeah. But if we're kind of doing golf terminology here, par would be anywhere from like 15 to 20 or so. Because, again, it's all about like there are people out there that have seen 60 and there are people out there that have seen three. So everybody kind of has to have their piece of the pie in some shape or fashion. So my three are Strangest Tribe, which has been played twice. Bugs, which has been played thrice, as well as Sweet Lou, which if it weren't for Ohana, I'd actually have Sweet Lou at two. So there is an opportunity for your point total to raise the more that they do play songs. I might be at eight now, but on the next tour, they might say, screw it, we're doing Bugs five times, and then I got to reevaluate and maybe well, no, another you, song. You've got to be there lower. for all of them to keep the score the same. Well, that's very true, yes, but you know, I can't predict these yeah. things. And one might be in like Brisbane, Australia, for all we know, you know, so yep. doubtful that I would make that one. But yeah, total score of, of eight, which is, is very, very good if you're considering the points. Now, let's get to some of yours that are interesting here. I'm going to start with Mark Kirby first because we usually start with Mark Kirby first. He saw Evil Little Goat at Wrigley Field, so that's one for him. Undone which was at five plays and in the moonlight, which is at four. So his score is a 10. That's pretty good. That's very good. I've got Brandon Pendergraft on Twitter who says he's got in the moonlight at four bugs at three and last soldier. That's a good one. At two said that's a total score of nine. Very, very good. Brandon. Now, did he say that he saw the two versions of last soldier or just one? Just one, I believe. Okay. All right. That's still, that's great. I mean, Last Soldier's rarer than almost all of the rares at this point. I'm I'm very jealous of that. I would have loved to have been at one of those shows. We haven't gotten an answer yet that had Falling Down, which I was kind of hoping for Mm, because that's another one. Real, real rare. Let's go to Aaron. Aaron Redmond's now. He has Evil Little Goat as well. One for Bugs and one for Sweet Lou, I believe. Evil Little Goat and Bugs were Wrigley for him, and Sweet Lou was Ohana for him. So that's one, three, and three. He's right at a seven. I think a lot of Wrigley people are able to make claim to somewhere around that score, especially if you were there in 2013, 2018. Yeah, they've broken some stuff out there for sure. I've got Jason Gerdom, who seen Strangest Tribe, 
Bugs. So he's right there with you, probably some of the same shows. And then he's got Other Side, which has been played four times, but he's seen two of them. Mm. So that bumps him down to an eight, which is very, very good. That's excellent. That's another one. Like you've lucked into seeing Other Side twice. You've seen some good shows. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Now, this is an interesting one because it's from our patron, uh, Simon Putney. I hope I pronounced that right. And this is interesting because he is from England and sometimes they just don't play those shows or sometimes you got to go out to the States. But his songs are Hitchhiker, which just seems like the rarest of the rare, along with like Last Soldier. You know what I mean? Because it's not like Evil Little Goat where it was at a big event. Hitchhiker just happened randomly at a Manchester show in 2012, not even like a, a prominent touring year. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So Hitchhiker, Other Side, and In Moonlight, both of those being played four times. So he has a score of an eight, which is really, really good. Yeah. If you're under 10, you're doing very, very well for yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. He actually has a nine. I am bad at math. He has a nine, but still, that's very, very good. I'm going to go to our friend Chill Mickelson. That would be Tom Gregory. Yep, yep. He's not under 10, but he does have some different songs on here. He's got Other Side at 4, Speed of Sound at 7, and Undone at 5. So two of the Riot Act B-sides on there for a total of 16, which is still very, very good. Nothing to be ashamed of. No, not at all. Yeah, love all those songs. So yeah, can't go wrong with that. Now, I got another one. I'm going to use this one before getting to the big winner from the Facebook ones. This is from Shane Jackman, who, again, like Simon, he's from Australia. So it's not the same amount of reps and songs. Like, you have to be at the right one at the right time for them to do something like that. And usually when they go down to a place that they really haven't been to a lot, they'll play the big stuff. They'll play the hits. But he got Brother, Let Me Sleep, and Force of Nature which Brother and Let Me Sleep are both at 8, and Force of Nature is at 11, so his score mm-hmm. is a 27. Right there with you. Really, really good for somebody from Australia. Yeah. All right, you want to go with uh, one final one for you? Who's, who has the biggest score, the best score? Lowest score, I should say. The lowest score I've got is Rich G, who I know has been to a lot of shows. He's got Hitchhiker, which you mentioned, the Manchester, the one, Evil Little Goat, one, and Santa Cruz only been played twice so total score of four i think the leader in the clubhouse yeah he was at telluride i know that for a Mm -hmm. fact so that's where he got santa cruz that's uh jenny g's husband one of our patrons and supporters for a long time hi jenny how you doing and yeah i think there's a response because i i I messaged him back and i'm like whoa hitchhiker that's kind of random and he's like yeah i was kind of there for a business thing and i just happened to say it so that's pretty good. Again, one of the rarest of the rare. Okay, let's go to Steve Bennett here, the winner on the Facebook side. So Evil Little Goat, one. He saw both versions of Last Soldier, so that's two. And he also saw two of the three Sweet Lou versions. So his score is a four. But that yeah. that's great. I mean, to have two there that you've seen multiple times, that feels nearly impossible. Yeah, that's unattainable for 99% of Pearl Jam fans. He's been to 83 shows, so there's that too. (laughs) 
thanks all for sharing yeah, your scores. Thanks for everyone who's sent in their responses. Sure. And if you aren't on social media or didn't get a chance to share your score, then feel free to tweet at us or post in the podcast community group or even send us an email with what your score is because we love to look at them, obviously love to see. And it doesn't matter if you have a score of 52, then then wonderful. Like It's all about like what you saw and what you experienced anyway, so it really doesn't matter. But the scores are cool. It's just a vanity thing. That's it. Okay, we got a show to get into. jump thinking about what they would do the night after but at this point when you're hearing once open the show with master slave introing it once was actually not used as an opener since late in 1992 on the Lollapalooza tour so that right there in itself is a pretty rare occurrence and again they would kind of start out the same way I think we mentioned it in the episode that we did for the 10 show that it kind of feels weird that they would do that both nights but then again like it feels pretty massive doing it here you know what i mean oh yeah it's just uh it's the ultimate teaser of course like something's up if you go to a program show and once is opening even before they started doing the sit-down stuff that we saw this year be like whoa like this is unexpected something's going on you know, Greenville was, what, a couple of weeks before this? So they knew, like, that was in the air, that the album shows were on the table. So I'm sure some of that was going on here. I mean, yeah, they, the Master Slave thing is perfect, like, right when it kicks in, you know, it goes into once right away and gets the crowd going right away, too. Like, you can tell immediately that this crowd is on the ball and, and ready to go nuts. Yeah, Once is not one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, yeah. Theirs, but if they opened with it at a show that I went to. I don't think they ever have, but if they did, I think I would get really excited because it just feels like it's totally out of left field, which weirdly it shouldn't because it's literally the lead track from the first ever record of theirs. So it feels appropriate, but it just never happens. If I'd have been there, I would have been like, oh, they're playing 10, obviously. You know, there was an opportunity to do something cool, but they kind of stopped it after Animal. What if they actually kind of went in ascending order and did once and then track two from Versus, Animal, and then went into Not For You, and then In My Tree, which they happen to play in this show? That would have been a cool way to do that. 
Yeah, that would have been interesting. I don't know that Ed even knows the track listings that well to do that, though. He'd probably uh, have to he's have got some a, help. He's got a phone. Around, yeah. And I wonder if there's stuff like that out there that we don't know about that no one's figured out. Well, it, it's funny because something like that is actually going to come later that I didn't know about the show. And really not much later. I think it's like within three or four songs. But it was something that I kind of put together and, and didn't figure out until reading the set list and listening to the show. So, yeah, very well could have happened and nobody would have batted an eye. But, you know, coming off of once, I feel like there is a lot of energy and Animal just escalates from there. And there's a moment where Ed goes to the top of the speaker. He doesn't do that within the first couple songs ever, which already he's starting to feel something real special from this crowd. But he's just taking it all in, letting them sing, and it feels like he's letting the sound waves just hit him, like just hit him in the chest. It was just visually a very, very good performance, but also the crowd was on top of it. But yeah, I mean, Animal's right up there with the crowd participation up there with like Jeremy and Wyco and Even Flow and all the big ones that you think of, Small Town. Animal is one that they can always count on to get a crowd going. Everyone would be doing the one, two, three, four, five. Like they always play it early usually. We don't usually see it later, but never think about it in that category. But whenever it comes up, I'm like, oh yeah, this is here to get this crowd going. Yep, absolutely. You get a big crowd, especially a big city. And yeah, that one turns from underrated unsung into hero right away. Now we're going to get into our first real rare one of the night, and it's going to be at number three, Gonna See My Friend. It's only been played 15 times, and this was the last time. The three big rare songs have not been played since this show, so that kind of goes to tell you what they think about them. And really, there's a theme to this we'll get into in just a second with Javier. But weird that 15 times and they played it twice in Philadelphia. Isn't that a little strange, right? Yeah, could be. I mean, probably those Spectrum shows, right? When Backspacer came out, you knew you, know, you were going to That's exactly it, what it was. Yep. As for the performance goes, it felt like, and we don't cover this very often, obviously. It's not often that we do a 2009, 2010 type show. But it feels like every time they've played it, it doesn't have that same power that it does on the record. And it feels like on the record, the mix has that solo riff that's the main focal point of the song throughout it's the heaviest thing it's the heaviest thing in the mix and then when you get it live and it's the three guitar attack it's very heavy you have the drums behind it and you're playing it faster because you want to build off the momentum and everything like that it kind of gets lost a little bit it just sort of loses that power and loses that what makes it kind of jump out of the headphones when you're listening to the record, but yeah, live, I don't think that's ever really worked in the same way. They hadn't played it since Vancouver, 2013, two and a half years. So this one, I think it's got to be tight and stone and Matt and Jeff have got to be locked in to hit those changes where it can like really punch you and get that energy. But it just doesn't. And I think the reason that this one hasn't been played since then is I don't think Ed can hit these notes anymore. It no. felt like he was having a little bit of a hard time getting there. And I think after this, he was like, yeah, I think we might be done with that one. Like, I don't think his voice can handle this one anymore. So here's the theme for the three rare ones. We're going to bring in Javier for this and kind of get his take on why these songs might not get played from a musical standpoint and kind of 
make a determination here as if they should bring it back or if they kind of belong where they are and should be left to the past. So let's get him on Gonna See My Friend right here and see what he has to say. John, hello everyone on the podcast. So this week we are covering the non-10 show from 2016 on Philadelphia. Let's start with Gonna See My Friend. I think Gonna See My Friend is a very good song. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's a very good song. Although I think it's a good song when it's played in the right key. As you guys know, Pro Jam, the majority of the times they're gonna be playing songs in the key of E. I don't think this song sounds quite right when it's being dropped half step down. For me, to my ears, it just doesn't work. I think Eddie feels very left alone in the mix. He has no backing vocals. You can really hear him struggling to get certain parts. In the intro, there's a lot of confusion. It might be this version, I don't know. At some point, everybody's playing something different in the intro. I think to recover the, if you want to call it the magic behind this track, I, I think they need to figure it out a better way to play it. Maybe a different tuning, maybe using different resources, maybe getting more support for Ed on the vocals when he's singing and get more kind of like the same vibe and feel that they got in the original recording when it comes to like all the support that other band members provided to Eddie with backing vocals and all that stuff. I just think it's a song that it can be recovered. I think it's a song that we should have more in the sets. I just don't think that it quite works. Half step, drop down, and just Eddie singing by himself. I don't think it sounds quite right. So his answer is pretty much the same thing that we were kind of going over there. Like, it just doesn't translate as well. And, you know, it is off-tuning. And I don't think that really bothers me as much anymore, but I... I yeah. was bothered by it the night I saw it. I didn't feel like it sounded the same, but yeah, maybe the song does need that. If they bring it back, it's going to have to be tuned down probably a full step, not just a half step. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to sound like a life wasted or something like that yeah. for sure. Let's look into All Night and Mind Your Manners here, a combination that falls right after. I guess All Night can be considered another deep cut, but Absolutely. again, they still play it a lot. Like the rarity score in that fast i think it's at 26 plays 28 it looks like yeah it's 28 and i have like six of them so i don't consider it that rare but yeah it is among them but when you look at it i think it's more rare for like early in the 2000s late in the 2000s than it is for now because now they'll bust it out like one or two times a tour i mean hey it's only been played five times since 2015 That's, that's still pretty rare hasn't been a lot of shows since 2015, you know, that's actually like at least one of each tour year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
I did really like watching Stone on that version, singing the vocals right along with Ed, and he wasn't at the mic or anything. It just seemed like he really, really enjoyed the song, which, you know, I, I guess I didn't even put into factor and play here that maybe it's the guys. Maybe the guys just love it. That could be the reason why it's sort of a little bit of a cockroach and, and sticks around for longer than you expect it to. Stone really seemed like he loved it. And especially, too, with the energy that they've got coming off this opening. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be riding high off of that. I mean, this show is full of, like, really lively, upbeat songs. Like, there's not a nothing as it seems. You know, there's not something that's going to, like, kind of halt the momentum that they have. It just keeps going. Even some of the, the more mid-tempo songs are, I think, done really well to kind of keep that energy going. Like, it's fast, it's upbeat. You know, I think they're riding high off that energy from the intro. In between All Night and Mind Your Manners, which, Mind Your Manners, exactly how you expect it. A lot of hand motions that Ed's doing, but, you know, fast punk rock song, that's going to be a big energetic one for the crowd. In between, he says, we've got all night. Of course, he's going to say that. Good evening. Big round of applause. And then Ed comments on how many people are there. He's just kind of like, whoa, there's a lot of you. This is the 22nd time that we've played in Philly. I don't know how many of you have been along for the ride, but we've had some great times. We played the Spectrum, Made in America, Concourse, all kinds of memories. But the first time we played here was July 12th, 1991. He said, I remember that because that's right before my brother's birthday. So we headlined a club called JC Dobbs. It's one of like the rare and most talked about shows when you're thinking about 1991. It's, it's, it's a great one. We covered that over on Patreon a, a little while ago. If, it's in the Hall of Fame. It is in the Hall of Fame. Yep, it was a perfect score. So that should tell you what we think about it. And definitely go listen to it if you never have. They just closed the place a few months ago, but we're glad that we put some sweat into that place. We played 11 songs that night. So in honor of that, we're going to play at least 11 songs. And then he kind of plays auctioneer a little bit. Or maybe 12, 13, can I buy 25, 26, 27? And kind of does that thing and finally settles on 32, which it feels like he just picked a number that would have been close to what they're going to do. But hey, they kept to it. They played 32 songs this night. With all the cuts, too. Like, originally, mm-hmm. it was going to be more than that. but Right. Or, yeah. you know. Who knows? But yeah. yep, 32 songs did this crowd quite well. Now, right before Low Light, Ed introduces Jeff and he says something like, first, let me introduce Jeff. It, it's not like a normal introduction, not saying that's Jeff Amen over there. He wrote this song. And that kind of was interesting to me because it, it kind of let me think, like, why would he say that and then not introduce the rest of the guys? So I looked at the next songs. Like, is there sort of a trend going on here? So we got Low Light, and that's obviously Jeff's song. Wishlist is Zed. Following that is Love Boat Captain. That's a boom song. Given a Fly being Mike's. Even Flow being Stones. Finishing off with In the Moonlight. Matt's. Six in a row where every single band member wrote one. That's incredible. Yeah, I wonder if he was going to like, if the plan was to take a moment and like give everyone a little moment before their song. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, he didn't end up doing that. Would have been really, really nice. But, you know, there's some things that come in Love Boat Captain that kind of supersede that. But if you just learned that now, then we're glad that we were able to share the information with you. It's such a very cool thing. Low Light and Wishlist back to back. I thought these songs 
flowed really well together and kind of low light wish list love boat captain is kind of building back the wave really nicely where low light you know right at the end ed is extending the voice he does the your dream i see forever and and that gets the crowd into it and then wish list is very upbeat and poppy and he's kind of changing some of the lyrics too for that like you know all philadelphia's hands up raised and and all that it's just very very loose and they're just having fun this whole entire show and from really early on these songs that might not have the fun identity especially low light sometimes is a little bit more taken seriously they turn into kind of like campfire i thought low light was really really good could have been really easy to do something there or they'll do something there to just kind of kill like it'll be you know dissident or whatever and you're just like oh that didn't make any sense there but low light always like you said with that editing it gets the crowd going again and keeps it going and then yeah low light into wishlist is great and like this set list is, is crafted very well so wishlist into love bow captain i think this is the one you gotta mention here so right as the song is starting ed dedicates this to a nine-year-old named joshua who was gifted tickets by the charity given to live We've talked to Tom, big shout out to Tom who does this. He does a tremendous job. We've talked to him on the show before. He's making not just kids, but like people's dream come true. You know, people that are in situations, their health situations or anything like that. He's he's getting them to shows, not just even Pearl Jam shows anywhere and getting the experience of a lifetime and especially go back to the one with Reese from last year where Reese got to get the signed poster and all that. Just very, very cool stuff. They really do a wonderful job. Then the jam comes, and this is one of the favorite things off of Love Boat Captain, the second half of Love Boat Captain's, if you want to call it career, career, I suppose. But it wasn't like St. Paul. It wasn't like Cincinnati, where it was really extended. It didn't have really a tie to Jumpin' Jack Flash either, but it was still excellent. Yeah, I like that he just kind of starts it, and then he's doing the dedication, kind of just playing along, and then the rest of the band like comes in. They kind of build up to it and build up to the Love Captain intro. It's very, very well done. I mean, it's not like a seven-minute one like those are, but... I think this one's like it fits with this show. It's a little more off the cuff. It's a little more loose, and then leads into a very, very good version of Lobo Captain. Especially the solo section definitely felt like it had a little extra coming from the band. Like felt like they really wanted to make this a memorable version. Absolutely, I think it just as the song grew and and gained momentum, it, it just gained power again the collaboration with the crowd it felt like the band was having fun with it and bouncing around with it and it seemed like ed was really into it and i think like those are factors when whenever you look at songs that have this that have kind of a big soaring moment that if the band is feeling it and they're on top of it then it's just one of the best things you can get especially a song like love boat captain that doesn't come up very often but yeah it just gelled so well so let's go to the city of brotherly love down in a tree and get given a fly into even flow. And yeah, this again, just fun. Like both of these just fun. Mike is hopping up and down during given a fly, pointing out to people, has a fun little jam with Jeff and Ed even gets up on the drum riser and kind of looks to the back and kind of sings to the back for a little bit, even though they would go and do that later. Yeah. Just smiles. 
whenever you see the band smiling and in a good mood, like that brings a lot to the show. You don't really think about that because kind of when you're in a band, you want focus and you want like energy, but like everybody having a good time means everybody else is going to have a good time. And yeah, I mean, given to fly is always going to be one that's going to get everybody going and it soars in the way that the best Pearl Jam songs do. So putting it after Love Boat Captain makes perfect sense and leading into Even Flow, like it's just, again, very, very well done. Being in this crowd, I mean, you got to think like you're nine songs in, you got to think you've been there for an hour and a half already. Yep. And Even Flow stuff, like Matt had a really, really good segue into the back portion of the song. Like it could have been turned into a solo. It felt like it was just there. You kind of want it, but he kind of built that pace and really sounded really good. And Mike was Mike. He was just a rock god. Ed, after Even Flow, shouts out to Mike and says, not sure how you're feeling tonight, but that guitar playing was sick. He makes a couple of like those kind of terminology things they'll do one later that's just like oh you use i think it's biatch and like you never said stuff like Mm. that before so yeah all right well he's got he's got got teenagers now that happens yeah at at that point yeah i I guess they were just becoming teenagers but yeah you're right that reminds me of how i talked when i was 15 if he can make an observation he talks a little bit about medicinal marijuana and just recreational marijuana talking about seattle that legalized it saying they got popsicles gum vaseline q-tips all these sorts of things and speaking as a touring musician some of you have to travel and in the middle of the night you stub your toe on something that you didn't know was there you're gonna need some marijuana on hand and he's you know, just kind of going off about it. And I guess the capper to that would be when he's like, the next song, Matt Cameron is kind of smoked once or twice. I think he was doing it when he wrote this song. And that's going to get into In the Moonlight, our second big, big rare of the night. Another one that we've kind of talked about at length, and this is the fourth and final version. We've talked about all four now, which is quite an accomplishment, I suppose. Every time we bring it up, we talk about sort of Matt's tempo and how it's kind of one of those like tricky time signatures and how it can kind of be off-putting and how it's weird to kind of put together a melody on it. And yeah, even in this version, they played it in Tampa earlier that year, but really 2011 was the last time that they played it and it was only twice. So... Looking at Mike and Jeff in this, it seemed like the bounciness that they were having and giving a fly and other songs like that was kind of like, okay, now we just got to watch for changes and they were taking it a little seriously. And I don't know, like if you're going to be hesitant about it, I say like maybe it's time to give it up. It was a little tentative, but I mean, on paper, it makes sense. Like it's a loose song. It's got a kind of the swinging rhythm. Like it makes sense in the set. But yeah, I think for whatever reason, they just weren't confident on it. But, I mean, yeah, you hit on it. This is now the second song that we've retired, right? That we'll never talk about it's, again. It's this and Bugs and yep. something else. Was that the third one? We we gotten another one? I feel like we did, like in Santa Cruz. We got okay. Santa Cruz. I mean, that's only two performances, yeah, so yeah. that's not much. Hey, it's going to be a growing club in the in the years to come. But uh, Right. We only have one more for Out of My Mind, I believe. Yeah, right. That first Atlanta show from 94. But yeah, In the Moonlight, I, I thought... Cameron was actually really, really good on it, but it was the rest of them were kind of like, okay, maybe, like I said, we need to focus and make sure not to fuck this up too bad. 
And you know what's funny is that it seems like the play was supposed to be for you are here since they put it on the right. set. Yeah. And they did it in sound check. And I'm sure they were like, okay, Matt Cameron song. That was the automatic to go to after even flow. Like, all right, like get something kind of grooving a little bit more, but yeah, they, they went for the rare one instead. Let's get Javier in on this to kind of, you know, cement what we're talking about and, and kind of give his take on why he might think it works or doesn't work. Cameron writes a song that is going to be quite unique. Every single song that he writes has such a unique tempo. You have breaks when you don't expect them. You have extended outros or intros where you're not expecting any of that. And I think that's why it, he's so great at what he does, right? I think In the Moonlight is a good song. Maybe not in my top 10 favorite, but I think it's pretty good. I just don't think that the band rehearsed the song for the show, or if they did, they probably did it once. Uh, I don't know if you guys have read stuff related to this, but Pearl Jam usually is a band that they just don't rehearse. Actually, I can quote an interview. In 2018, when they were doing the South American leg of their tour, specifically when they started in Santiago, Chile, my homeland, by the way, they specifically requested the arena for an entire afternoon to go rehearse because again they don't rely on that as much which there's nothing wrong with that it's for them it's about feel it's about getting the song right whatever the definition of right is for them i think a song like this needs to be rehearsed i think a song like this needs to be more structured uh, but i think definitely is something that is can be recovered for have it maybe in a more constant rotation for the set list because it's a good song and it's a very unique song in their tempo so, yep, right there, just everybody on the same page. And again, they haven't played it since. Who knows with shorter sets if it's part of the future, but you just never know with this band. So It'd be cool if it's part of the sit-down set. That'd be kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's like the third or fourth song. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. All right, we get to talk about In My Tree right here. That's a you song, so I'm sure you'll have great things to say about it. And that gets into Jeremy after that. I think the thing that I might have really enjoyed the most about In My Tree was that the lighting was perfect for it. It had this kind of like blue tint, but then there's like this little moving magenta-ish pink color that's going on with it. And it really felt like it hit the mood really well for, for a song like that. And it did exactly everything you asked it to. Like even Matt, I thought, you know, sometimes you don't, really think about Matt because it's just like, well, it's not Jack and that's not true. But I thought that Matt had a really, really good performance on this. 
He does. And the, this version, I think, is all about the ending, like when it hits to that final part with the solo and it just feels like it just lifts you up off the ground and you're just floating. I love that part of the song is maybe my favorite moment in any Pearl Jam song when In My Tree hits at the end. It's Stone and Matt and Jeff who just kind of carry that thing and like just kind of gently lift it up and then set it down. It's very, very well done. I mean, there are better versions, but when that ending hits like that, it's always very, very good. Yeah, and I think the thing I want to mention about Matt a little bit is that he's kind of incorporating these like extra little cymbal hits within the verses and it accentuates the sound. It sounds really prominent and it almost like kind of makes your ears pop a little bit. You're like, huh, that's yeah, something trying different. to give it some more texture, yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. What do you got to say about Jeremy? Now, look, it's only been a couple songs since Even Flow and Given to Fly, but it does feel like with what you're getting into next, if you went directly from In the Moonlight and In My Tree into Education, there could have been an opportunity for a dull moment. And I feel like Jeremy was the perfect buffer in between the bunch to lift this crowd up again, get them singing again. Ed is on top of the stage, like letting the sound waves just smash them in the face. That's exactly what you got to do on a song like that. Jeremy is maybe the number one automatic get the crowd going song, like right from the beginning and then it builds to that end which is very very crowd friendly and very very loud at one point ed says he's oh, i see you mr b-side is that the that might be dirty frank that that's the, the dirty frank signs that, oh, that yeah. people were showing yeah 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 we'll get to that when we get to yeah. that that's not too far off nice thing in philly it was cold as fuck when we walked in here today it might have been the same for you Well, that's only if the fuck was cold, if it was a cold fuck, and then it was cold as fuck. If it was a hot fuck, then it was colder than that. I I got lost in a little bit of this because he's talking about the flyers and the ice. And yeah, it it just, it went kind of nowhere. But Uh, the wine's kicking in by this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there will be more wine. And he's just like, okay, here's another song about a school, which packages quite nicely together with Jeremy. So here we are at Education, our third and final big, big rare moment of the night. And I think of all these, like, this is the one that I'm kind of scratching my head at as, like, why? How come? It was a perfect performance. It felt exactly how the song is on Lost Dogs. The cool rhythm that it has, almost a little bit staccato-y, and they're having fun with it, too. Ed is kind of embellishing some of those lyrics only been played nine times so you'd think like oh you know maybe there would be some ring rust on it but it was to perfection here's the thing they played it in lexington too so two days prior yeah mm -hmm, so they had a a little bit of a rep with it but loved it i thought that this was a phenomenal performance yeah i agree i thought ed sounded really good really confident on it it definitely had the momentum and swing that you want from education that it felt like in the moonlight should have had but didn't yeah i thought education was the best of the three that we've talked about let's see if javier agrees with us
This version is great. I love this version. I just quite don't understand why they haven't played it more often. I don't know. My only thought is every single time I read an interview about them and the way that they want to set up their instructor live or something that they will make them to make a decision based on what they're going to play that night, it has to feel right. A few years ago, Jeff Amon gave an interview saying that he still feels that they didn't quite get even flow right on the recording, which for me is like, wow, I mean, because it sounds pretty good in the album, right? I think for them it's more about feeling that the song is right for them. It might be something that in the way that they play it, that maybe it doesn't feel quite right to be included on the set more often, or maybe what they're getting out of the crowd, or maybe what they're getting out of the city, it doesn't call for that pick for that night. I think we're very lucky to have and to follow a band that they're gonna care about the fans so much. And no matter how many times they screwed up a song live, or no matter how many times they include little gems like this, I think it's always going to be welcomed, but I think it goes back to it needs to feel right for them to include the songs more often, even though that this version is absolutely great, it's absolutely fantastic, it sounds awesome, but maybe it doesn't feel quite right to play it more often for them, or maybe the meaning behind the song is something that they want to keep a little bit more for themselves and maybe they don't want to expose it too much. So right there, we pretty much went three for three. We all had similar talking points. We all kind of said the same thing. Your checks and, in the mail, have you? Yeah, right. Yeah, your your five cents for your royalties <laughs> <laughs> someday. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Yeah, education really out of the three. If you're the band and you're saying some songs gotta leave the repertoire and kind of just hit the ground for the rest of our career they're at this point where they can do that and there's less songs and and on and on and on but education shouldn't be one of those songs i think that's kind of the unanimous agreement here all right let's just run right through to the end of the main set right here unthought known do the evolution lightning bolt and then porch to cap it on out and the big overall theme in this is something that we were talking about the whole entire time. It's good vibes. It's positivity. It's great crowd reaction. It's great interaction. All these songs back to back to back to back make a ton of sense. And it's crazy because they all feel like showstoppers too. How often do you get, especially at the end of the set where you nail each and every one of them and they could be like big moments of the night. It doesn't happen too often. Yeah, I thought Unthought Known and Lightning Bolt, I think if they ever get played back to back, I'm going to be very confused because they're very, very similar, but they both do the same thing. Yeah, I thought this was just like, we've gotten through the rare stuff we wanted to get through. Let's be crowd friendly and just 
blast this thing out till the end of the main set, like you mentioned that we're going to do. Like, do the evolution, I thought, fantastic. Another very good stone performance. But this version of Porch, I thought, you know, Porch can sometimes meander a little bit and get a little off the rails and go off track. But this one, I thought they kept it very upbeat, kept it very lively and fast and to the point and really served the end of the set well. Yeah, and I think like two points to really bring out of these four is that evolution, just watching the Hallelujah Choir. I mean, Scott talked about like being down there for that song and how cool it was, but like everybody down there doing that, that was a sight to see. It doesn't get lost within the equation, but it should be highlighted a lot more when people talk about it. And then Porch as well, like it's very typical, but the orbs are swinging. It's the era for that. And Mike's kind of soloing where he's kind of also hitting it with the top of his guitar at the same time. And it's going down to the pit and just kind of like talking to people in the pit. And he's on one of the big platforms at first and then kind of makes his way down and does the whole standing on the rail bit where he's holding people's hands and stuff like that. So it's a typical performance and it's very, very good. But that's exactly, I think, how you need to end it and kind of lead them to wanting more in the encores right here. Yeah, just set list construction done to perfection. All right, we're at the Encore. Let's pause for station identification and talk a little bit about the things that we got to talk about. Let's thank one person. Now, I won't get into details on this, but we have to thank Jared Smith Schaefer here because he joined up on Patreon. This is kind of a long time coming. And again, I'm not going to get into specifics about it, but we're thankful that he joined and we're glad that he's contributing because for a while he really wanted to. So he already made a request. We're going to get him his request and we're excited to do that. So we're glad to have you aboard finally. And yeah, yep, thanks Jared. Very, very cool. Horizon leg member too. So that's just excellent. Nice. And he'll tell us stories and all that. So yep. The Patreon stuff is continuing to happen. That's as bold and as a matter of fact that I can say. But honestly, we're going to have more within Scott's interview kind of went a little bit longer. So we're going to put the whole thing of that about 25 minutes or so up on Patreon in a couple of days. And there will be a Love Boat Captain Evolution episode that's coming up in the next month. I know we said end of February, but this always happens. You got to jump a month ahead for it to make sense. And yeah, it, hey, it's that, that, that's on me. My, my kids were sick for like two weeks. I didn't get a chance to do, do as you, much research as I wanted to, but you know what? Uh, it's, it's in the works. It's tax season. And honestly, I hadn't gotten up to the bulk of it yet either. But yeah, we're thinking about it. We talk about it every single time we get together. So it's happening. And then little things as well, set list drafts that are going to be up there and, and stuff like that. So it's really about contributing and helping out what we're doing on the pod because we don't sell advertising or anything like that. We like all the contributes to come in from you, the people to help and kind of make this a community project. So that's kind of one of the unique things that we do. And if you are not a patron and sitting there right now, listening to the episode and you're interested in joining, then all you got to do, it's pretty simple. You know how websites work. You go on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs. If you want to go sign up, they'll give you three choices, the bonus leg tier for a dollar a month, the giga leg tier for $5 a month and the horizon leg tier for $10 a month are all available for you. And you do get to have a selection as to pay monthly or yearly. So if you just want to pay one time and get it over with, 
you might want the yearly, which honestly, in all three scenarios, you will be saving money doing yearly than monthly because you would be paying $12 under the bonus like tier. But if you do it yearly, you're only paying $10. You get to save $2 and you get to save even more money if you join up on the horizon leg tier. So all good things. And, you know, we encourage everybody to, to join up. It's a good community. It's got over 200 people that have just been supporting for years and years and years. And we're heading into our fifth year now. That's fucking weird to say. We talked about it a little bit. You and I last week, how we're like, yeah. what are we going to do for a fifth anniversary? Yeah. feels like we've done so much, but Hey, we might be open to suggestions on that, you know, so this up. If you want to know the perks about it, you're going to get the episodes no matter what tier that you join up to. And that's really the bonus leg. That's what you're getting mostly. And then the giga leg, you're getting a request for the show and horizon leg. You're getting a request for the show as well, but we get to do a profile episode on you that airs on Patreon too. So a lot of good stuff. Patreon.com slash live and four legs or the Patreon app, search live and four legs or live and four legs.com. Click the patron button at the top. I can feel like I can cut that out of every episode and put that right there because I say it every single week. Speaking of live on four legs.com, tell them about the Concertpedia again. Yeah, all of our 2013 Concertpedia reviews are up. That's our kind of continuing project to kind of keep what two feet thick and and five horizons had done that's hence the horizon leg to kind of get those reviews up on those shows and give people a chance to go back and relive those things and thanks to everyone who's been writing those the whole community's been in on it we've had tons of people submit reviews and it's been a pleasure to go through them now all of 2013 is up it makes for a really good read to just go through and and read through that whole tour and kind of remember everything that happened 10 years ago I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, just a lot of hard work from everybody. So we really thank people for being interested. And, you know, we are continuing to write stuff. It's been slow for the last little while. But if you are interested in writing the recaps, then feel free to shoot us an email. The email is live on fourlegspodcast at gmail.com. So feel free to hit us up with anything, questions, answers, anything. You just want to share what shows that you really liked, anything. Go ahead. Send us an email. We'd love hearing from people. So, all right, back to The Rock, and let's head to a wedding. How about that? Ed thanks the crowd for their patience. Not trying to piss you off. We're just trying to have conversations about what we want to play for you fine people tonight. This is where it comes in. A lot of Dirty Frank chants here. Um, Yeah, I heard that before. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. My mind's just not that dirty, you see. Now, it might have not come to fruition at a Pearl Jam show, but six years later, it would. So, yeah, he was thinking about it. It took him a long time to, to pull the trigger on something, but he thought about it. It did happen. I think this may be a first. It's not. It's not the first because we got one in Ireland, in Belfast, I believe. The guy's name is Colin. He's talked to us a little bit before, and we did the episode and covered that, where him and his wife technically didn't get married at the show. They got married beforehand, but did like a little ceremony at the show. So that still counts. So as far as we know, the second time 
that this happened. So he says, we've had couples propose. We had a couple in Italy make a baby during a show. <laughs> I want to know what show that was. Ed kind of says here, he's like, I don't think it was a romantic song. It sounded like it was go, like, don't go on me. And yeah, get I, can, I get it. Y- yes. Yes. Don't, don't, don't go on me. I, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too bad. But I guess that that song can get you fired up in a way and feel kind of the butterflies and energy and all that. But I, good for them. I hope they're baby, right? Because he said it was 2006. So, yeah, I guess right now it would be like 15 or something like that. So I hope that baby's thriving and I hope that's their favorite song. It mentions there's a couple that's here. Guy's name is Pat. He's a music teacher. And his wife, his name is Eden. She's a third grade teacher, and she does a lot for the community. He says, I hear that in Sweet 25. Looks up to his left, and he says, they started the night engaged, and right now they are married. So which one of you two wanted to have the big wedding? That's really good thinking. You don't even have to send out invitations. Cheers to you guys. And I tried to figure out the most romantic song I know for you. That's where we're getting in the fifth and final performance to date of the Tom Waits classic picture in a frame, which if you are paying attention and kind of know the history of this song and tying it back into Italy, I suppose it was used as the DVD name Imogene and Cornice, which is an Italian picture in a frame. So it's a cool little tie-in. 205 shows since I last played it, but you bring it up for a wedding, it's going to give you the same vibe and spread the love in that building for sure. But it does feel like the crowd can't hold back on just a sweet romantic moment. Because midway through, they're just like cheering like somebody just hit a home run, you know? Yeah, I wonder if it was like something going on in the suite. Maybe they opened the window and poked their heads out or something. Yeah, I think they might have had a smooch or something like that. He also mentions that Pat was in a band. He says, oh, he was in a band. He was in a really good band. I wish I knew like what band that was. I'm curious to know what band he was in. I wish we had some more information. If anybody knows out there, send us an email and let us know. But yeah, I thought it was just a really nice kind of sweet performance. It looks like going back, we're going to get a lot of cuts on the original list here in Encore 1. It looked like he was originally going to do Without You from ukulele songs. Which is interesting because that song was actually a reading. My sister-in-law read the lyrics of that at my wedding. So that's kind yeah. of a marriage die in there. Would have done the job very well. That's, mm-hmm. that's another song that kind of in that vein. But yeah, picture in the frame, I thought it was very, very good here. It pulls it off very, very well for something that hadn't been played in a long time. I love you, baby, and I always will. Ever since I put your picture in a frame. I love you, baby, and I always will. Since I put your picture in a frame. All right, we're going to transition into some old ones right here and some fuck ups here and there, but they're fun, fun fuck ups. 
uh, he was talking a little bit about Dobbs and says Dobbs back in 1992, but it was 1991. And he said, apparently, we haven't played this song since them in Philadelphia. And he says, clearly, it is not Dirty Frank, motherfucker. Can't follow up a beautiful wedding song with Dirty Fucking Frank. Or maybe we won't play that one. I'm not nervous. Hear a lot of, like, hi-hat tapping from Matt. And you're like, okay, when are they coming in? When are they coming in? When are they coming in for this? I think it was a little bit of hesitation, but it was, it was mostly Stone's guitar was not really fitting in with this. That yeah, it was, was something in tune. It looked like the tech had brought in the wrong guitar. Yeah, but I don't think he fired this tech like like somebody else did at one right, point. Right. Immediately after the tech is right behind Stone with the red guitar, like here you go, try and be like here, switch it out real quick. Let's do. It. Don't fire and me, they, they, they get it. They, yeah, exactly. I think the cool part here is obviously this little kind of off the cuff. Mm. Mike usually noodles in these little moments anyway. It's sometimes Van Halen and sometimes the Stones. This one happened to be the Stones, so we get a little piece of Angie in the background. Oceans is going to go into Chloe and Crown. Overall, I don't know why it works. The science behind it kind of makes sense, but the vibe of all three of these really mesh quite well together. It seems like Oceans is impassioned in its own way, and then Chloe and Crown are just kind of on a on such a high plane of like emotional, passionate, and soaring kind of quality that you don't think of these songs being packaged together, especially in an encore like this. They're kind of usually separated in places, but it worked out really, really well. Yeah, Oceans especially, you almost never see it in an encore. I thought Chloe and Crown was really nice. He talks about Jeff and Andy beforehand, and that makes it kind of a really nice dedication of it. Yeah, they all kind of fit together because they're all very kind of sweet and nostalgic is maybe not the right word, but like poignant and thinking about, you know, different things and you get thinking about people and like, yeah, they're all very kind of emotional songs that all works really well together, I thought. Yeah, I got to bring something up from Crown of Thorns here because this is just, I think it's hilarious. You know, it seemed like 42 or so people on Twitter agreed with me, but there's a moment in Crown of Thorns that's after the first chorus where they have the next verse, which is the used to treat you like a lady, you're my substitute teacher. And instead of going into that and preparing for that, it starts doing that whole leave me alone and that whole thing right there. Yeah, that wasn't the spot for it, but it seemed like Mike just assassinated him with his eyes. Because if you look at it, you know, Mike is kind of like looking off in the distance. And then once Ed did that, Mike turns right to him and just stares. 
It's like a death stare right at him. Like, well, I have, an, have another take on that, maybe. Because, yeah, that is possible. The angle is weird. It's hard to tell. But if you listen to Crown, like, Stone drops out completely for a little while. Like, he's not playing the rhythm. I wonder if something was going on with Stone's guitar that he was looking at, too. Interesting, but it was right when Ed no, yeah, yeah. screwed that part up. But it yeah. might be a, like, a what the fuck is going on around Over here sort of thing. that area, yeah. Or everywhere, you know? When you pause it at the right spot, it looks like Mike is basically saying to him, like, yeah, you did that. That's your fault. You fucked up. You got to fix it. He goes for the big moment a little too early. Yeah, mm-hmm. false start. But you know what? And you know what? what's funny about that is that on the last tour, whenever they did it, they didn't add in that substitute teacher line. So makes me think here that maybe that's always been a problem for Ed. And they were just like, okay, we need to kind of cut time on a song. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to cut a little bit from Crown of Thorns, and that way you can never fuck that up again. Yeah, maybe. So great performance, though. Again, like it gets the crowd in awe of it. Like they're singing along with every single line. They're on top of it. And it's not a song that you kind of expect like fun things from, but it felt like that loose vibe did transition to the song as well. It's always big. Always big. And I think he even says something afterwards like, oh, Andy would have loved this here. Yes. Yes. It's always a big moment because of what the song means and where the song stemmed from so watching jeff play it always like i wonder what's going through his mind like yeah just very reserved and you know contemplative yeah don't really get his thoughts and feelings by looking at him but you know that something's going on in there yeah into the end of encore one here it's why go and then <laughs> it's got some and river mirror is going to follow it off river mirror is the one that i feel like has the most talking point i can rant about got some but does anybody actually want to hear me rant about <laughs> i was Gotsum? gonna say yeah we we know your feelings about got some in the encore well if, if you want me to do it a little bit for the people that have never listened before i'd be happy to <laughs> i want think to we're talk in here I th- 30 I think, seconds i think i think we're i think we're good 15 seconds Give me 10. All right. And the clock starts now. 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's like much of a purpose to have a song like that that isn't a big thing like Why Go River Mirror. Like that's a early main set sort of thing. Get it out of the way. I don't think it has the celebratory moment in an encore at all. Yeah, I think it can, but yeah, it's tough. It's not an automatic like Why Go and Review Mirror. I thought Why Go was just awesome here. Again, like coming off of the kind of emotional moment of Crown Thrones, you always talk about like what can follow that up, and you know, it's usually like a black or something. But Why Go like immediately turns that into 180, and like again, they've got this crowd in the palm of his hand, and they're just going nuts. I thought Why Go was very, very good. It was kind of diplomatic of me. Like, I didn't go too crazy about it. I, I kept my temper there, right? Like, that was pretty good, right? Yeah, we'll have to insert the clip from one of those early episodes where you went off on it. I believe that was episode one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, rearview mirror here. Very fun bridge. Just a lot of upward momentum, pure rock and roll flavor. Big, Again, big. Mm-hmm, you're watching Ed and Jeff on this one. They're kind of doing this like crouching challenge. And they're like going lower and kind of testing themselves to see how low they can go. Kind of like spreading their legs apart and getting their ass in the air and, and really trying to test themselves. It was just like, I believe they fall down. And just a fun moment just kind of seeing them sort of compete in the weird sort of way but yeah big big performance here the jeff bass roll to get in i feel like that little tease before that that kind of just keeps you hanging you know what's coming but like he kind of does a little that and you know that the big roll into the ending is about to hit but because he's teasing that and because you see it from a mile away you're just like come on Come on, let's get it. And then right when he gets into it, you're like, ah, yeah, let's go. Let's go for River Mirror. And just big finish on it, too. Ed looked like he was about to strum his arm right off. That's how fast he was strumming in this. Yeah, I want to give a shout-out to Gabe Spies, one of our patrons who wrote this concert page review and, and called this Who-esque. And mm. uh, he's right on the money. This reminded me of Won't Get Fooled Again, I Can See For Miles, you know, Behind Blue Eyes all those epic who jams that they go off on very triumphant i think is another word that he used yeah shout out to gabe who nailed that one but ed's he's trying to do townsend and daltrey at the same time always <laughs> so yeah he's he's right in that mode right here love to see it core two right here Ed keeps saying kind of over and over again he's like we don't want to overstay our welcome we don't want to overstay our welcome i wish all those people tomorrow luck because it's going to be a hard time beating you guys tonight Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he knows he knows like why would they do the master slave into once oh yeah that's never happened 
They knew. I mean, exactly. I think he tells the story like they they walked in the building and saw the banner up and decided to do it. But they saw that before this show and decided yes. to do it the next night. Yeah, I'm sure somebody backstage probably showed them, or somebody yeah. you know gave Kelly Curtis a call and said, "Hey, just a heads up," something like that. But. Yeah. Says that save you is a request from some guy that's been calling me a motherfucker all week, and this is where he says "bitch." So, yeah, that's another that's, bottle of wine down. So, yeah, yeah, right. So, save you, small town, kind of here. I love when in save you, like, there's a lot of just like exasperated lyrics, and the little one in the pre-chorus, like right off the bridge, where he says, "Let's beat it, get up, let's go," and like it felt like he was really feeling it on that line, and it kind of led the song to the beginning of a big big ending they'll do songs like this here we've seen like comatose sometimes spin the black circle will open encore to go things like that but i don't know that i've ever seen save you this late again like we talked about that with oceans too but i absolutely love this give me save you late all the time like i think that adds some really good energy to the beginning of this encore and again builds on what has already been done and kind of transitions into what's coming i love this i thought the performance was absolutely great like they were right on it mike i thought had an excellent version jeff is always good on save you yeah this felt like a jolt like you know in a show full of like kind of left turns and rare songs this one actually stuck out to me as being like wow that's something i'm going to go back to that's really cool And they're going to turn to the back, play a little bit of Small Town. Ed seems to react to a sign, and it seemed like it was somebody's birthday, so that got a really good reaction. Good sing-along. It's to be expected. The crowd in the back loved it. Now let's get to Crazy Mary. Before we get into the performance, let's go by the numbers here for a second. Crazy Mary and Philadelphia had a long-standing relationship together, and it might be even longer than you think. It was longer than I thought, because really I was taking it from the 2005 version. But you have to go back to 2000. Every Philly show where they did their tour in either Philly or Camden, one of every two nights, because they did a lot of two-night shows, most of them were, at least one of the nights on every single tour, they've played Crazy Mary. 2000, they played it. 2003, they opened with it. 2005, which I think is like the one that's defining for Philadelphia, obviously. That's the one where the Ghost of Mary took out the amps and kind of exploded the place. Like, that's the one where I thought, oh, this is a Philly song through and through. But you get it again at Camden in 06. You get it again at Camden in 08. You get it at the Spectrum Night 3, which a lot of people say is the best night. You get it in 2013. You get it at this show. You get it at Camden this past year. That's a lot of representation for Philadelphia. The only time 
that they were in Philadelphia in a year and didn't play the song was the Man of America Festival. That goes to show how great and rich of a history this song has here, and the crowd knows it too. Yeah, it's a, it's a compliment to the crowd there. They always break out this fan favorite song that they know is going to get a good response. The song's better with the crowd participation, and he knows they're going to do it. So, yeah, I'm sure he's got that in the back of his mind. And this is even the tour debut of Crazy Mary. They hadn't played it in 2016 so far. It's almost like they were saving it for Philadelphia. Possibly. Yeah, that would be a good explanation for that. And back to the crowd, it felt like they took a bottle and passed it to all 20,000 people in that crowd and just let them have the bottle. And it just felt like there was a buzz going on throughout the arena that everybody was just kind of on a high. It it was just very, very good. Like that crowd, especially like Mary rising above it all, like everybody was just on top of it. Everybody was doing it. to be outdone by Mike and his Angie T's. Boom's going to throw in some paint at black there. He sure is. Let's talk a little bit about Boom because it's very funny. As they're getting to the ending, the round, round, you can see Boom on camera and he points. He like points to either himself or points out and it seemed like somebody is probably saying, Boom, it's your turn. It's your turn. And he's got the smile on. He's like, yep, this is my turn. And yeah, like Boom was just so happy doing it. Like it, Boom is always happy, but the faces that he makes at Mike, Mike waddles over there like right away. There's no wasted time with any of this. It's not like Mike kind of, all right, and you're going to do your thing and we're going to wait a minute or two and get you the highlight. Mike goes over right away and they duel right away. And every time that Boom gives it back to Mike, he has this big goofy grin on his face it's very very funny but yeah doing the paint it black in this was very very good dual wise i think this one is a hundred percent boom by a mile and i think that careful careful no i i really do and i think that kind of mike let him have it a little bit too he wasn't stretching and and boom was just like on fire on this one i gotta give it to boom but you know what you know what, let's give credit to both Stone and Matt in this one. I think this actually makes this version of this song so unique and kind of incredible and a fantastic performance because if you notice that, you know, during that jam, there's a part, Stone's playing the acoustic, and there's a part where he extends the strumming and kind of starts strumming a little faster. Matt notices that, and Matt starts to pick up the pace a little bit and kind of turns this from this groove jam almost into like a, like a legit rock song in a way and I don't think I've ever seen that come out of Crazy Mary before but it absolutely torched that building down I love watching Stone when no one else is watching Stone 
and he always does little things like that. And you can tell he Crazy Mary is another one you talked about. There was one earlier that you mentioned that Stone was really into. I think all night, all night. Yeah. If you watch Stone on Crazy Mary, he always is into it. He's always doing all the Stone things that he does with the duck head and uh, the shuffle and everything. He, you can tell he loves that playing that song. And you know what? There's going to be another one in just a minute where he's got the squints going on and he's able to solo and it feels like he's yeah. putting every piece of blood into that song. It'll it'll be fucking up in about two seconds. Yep. But State of Love and Trust, Alive, and then it's going to be fucking up and then it's going to be Indifference. And State of Love and Trust is, is very fun because Ed's wearing his Rocky shirt. So, you know, of course, when in Rome and somebody in the crowd tosses him like an Apollo Creed like USA robe you know the one we've all seen the movies and it seemed like he picked up one of the top hats too so it was the whole garb and all that and he puts on the robe and and kind of does a shtick with the robe a little bit there I thought that that was just fun crowd takes over again very very loud on the hey oh hey oh hey oh well some of the loudest I've ever heard and it's full go it's full go for the end they know that hey this night is about to come to the end a lot of people are saying this is a good way to leave off and kind of lead you into tomorrow little than did they know that tomorrow would be a completely different experience but it felt like they were just in a great party mood the robe thing is very impressive because he does it one-handed while singing yeah you know not missing a single word it's very impressive and yeah he kind of looks like he gets the hat and he looks at it and he goes no tosses it off but he does the thing where he throws the mic into the crowd you know, someone gets it and does a really good job of doing the, the haze and doing the build, and then immediately the mic just comes back into frame. Like the guy threw it back at the perfect time for oh. it to just catch it and in one motion go right to the chorus. It was very well done. Shout out to that crowd member on the rail who did a good job. Yeah, most guys in that situation probably be like, "Up, oh, this is mine. I'm I'm taking over the rest of the right, show." Right. Maybe he knew exactly who to throw it to. Yeah, yeah. He was meeting a lot of people up on rail earlier this night alive like again everything else is just like feeding into this feeding into this big party atmosphere and mike's going down on the rail goes to play to those people a little bit and it's i think a way to again tell this crowd like we're coming back tomorrow but this is how much fun that we're having here and also you're not getting this here tomorrow this is going to be the third freaking song of tomorrow's set list. So this is the only time in this double night performance that you're going to be able to celebrate with a live like this. And I mean, end of show celebration fucking up is great too. Ed's throwing tambourines and at the end has a very sad attempt at break dancing. And again, I, I think it's all up to stone though. Like I mentioned, his eyes kind of squinting and kind of like getting that lemon face in there and, and really, really putting his guts into that solo was excellent. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Stone's the highlight of fucking up for sure. Indifference ending your night here. And it's very cool because Ed's just kind of looking around and he's like, you're probably great to every group that comes in here, but you made us feel really, really special. And after that, it goes down to the bottom and just like Porch, I don't know if we've seen this too often on Indifference, he gets up on the rail and holds on to people and sings to the crowd right on top of them. He stays for a little while too. It's, it's very good. There's even a moment where he looks somebody in the eye and you can tell it's, it's on the boot where he says, He's 
looking directly at somebody that is probably saying thank you for an amazing time. I was just tremendous and like real kind of sincerity coming out of him from this show that again you can imagine how it made them feel. Yeah, one of the best crowd versions of indifference I heard in a, in a long time. You could tell that they wanted to get one last go in there. So remember how we mentioned some of the cuts from the set list? Let's go over a couple, even though we mentioned most of them. I think there's a big one that we didn't get to mention. Without You was kind of in the spot for the first dance wedding kind of song. And then You Are, which would have been in the first encore somewhere after Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. And Better Man, I believe, was set to close the encore one. And somewhere in between all that was Strangest Tribe. It was cut for Chloe and Crown. What would have been the second ever performance. So you'd have to think, because later in that year would be Fenway, you'd have to think that at that point it was something on their mind. They were going to end up doing it. It goes back to the thing of like Ed wanted to make this a memorable show, wanted to give them some rare ones because they knew they might miss out on the next night. All right. Let's pick some moments here, and it's going to be tough to pick some, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to go number three, education, because I thought it was just a phenomenal performance, and we're going to cover it again at some point, but not very many versions. If they listen to us, then they'll know. Save it for later this year. Chloe and Crown of Thorns is going to be number two for me. Number one is Crazy Mary, and I said... That Crown of Thorns, after hearing that, I was like, Crown of Thorns is easy number one for me. And heard Crazy Mary, I'm like, nope, changing my mind. The Crazy Mary was the best moment from the show. Oh, I'm going to go a little bit different. My number three is Education. My number two is Picture in a Frame. And my number one is Save You. Interesting. Yeah, that okay. was the best performance of the night. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time on that one, but, you know, yeah, that's interesting. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now this is interesting rating wise because we gave the 10 show a 10. Like how could we not? It's one of the most remarkable moments that has ever happened at a Pearl Jam show. And now you have to think about what this is and no, it's not that show. It's not a legendary show. It's a great show in a big city, a big place with a phenomenal crowd. So where does that get you? And I think that I got a nine on this. What's keeping it from like a nine and a nine and a half is I think that there's no like one performance that everybody talks about from this show. You know, everybody kind of just talks about the show itself, which is great. And most of the stuff that we give nine and a half around here is like, okay, this is just on fire performance wise. They were awesome at this show, no doubt. But that all came with a collaboration with the crowd and everything like that. That's why I keep it in a nine instead of a nine and a half. It didn't quite cross that plane. It's apples and oranges, I know. But nines are phenomenal shows as well. Like, let's not cherry pick at this. Nine is my rating. I think I'm going to bump it up and give it the nine and a half. Like, I think, you know, taking, thinking about it, and probably, you know, beforehand, I would have thought this would have been in the eight category. But listening to it, going through and watch the video like we've talked about the energy that the crowd gave back to them and maybe i'm giving it a little bit of a bump because we haven't had that in a couple of weeks and i felt like it it really added a lot to the show and it does to all the best ones but 
what bumps it up for me is knowing the care that Ed took making the set list, trying to make it memorable for these people, because obviously they knew what they were going to do the next night. We've talked about that ad nauseum. They could have easily made this feel like a warm-up show and made it feel like a little brother show. But you can tell they really tried to make it live up to what was going to happen the next night. And they really took some care into it and thought about it and did some special things. And there are some great, great moments in this show. So I think it's right there, nine and a half. Oh, fuck, I'll give it a nine and a half, too. Am I allowed to change my rating after I give a rating? If it is, it's your show. <laughs> well, yeah, if you want to go back, you got you me there. it's not locked in until the episode's done. All right, nine and a half. All yeah, because right. you make some really good points. There are moments can just be just as good as performances. All shows are different. They're all snowflakes. Like, let's just put it that way. You know, they all and the ratings something. are for entertainment purposes only. Yep, that's that's the disclaimer that we have to say at every episode, that we've only said it like two episodes, so. All right, next week, we're going to do another Patreon-requested episode from a country we've never covered anything in before. That is Belgium. We've never done a thing in Belgium, so we're going to go back to Avocado and do Antwerp from 2006 that is a request from and i'm going to say it like this this week and i'm going to say it like this next week if you know chris berman from you know reading football highlights on espn and all that you'll know that this is a nod to him in some way gunter and his last name is habits but i'm gonna say gunter never thought you'd habits i had to do it also he's Kind of a good friend of the family, too. So I have a soft spot in my heart for him. So that's what we're doing next week. It's Antwerp, Belgium. Hope to see you all there. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did and as much as Scott got to request it. And, you know, we thank him once again for requesting a really, really good one that wasn't much on our radar to begin with. But those are the ones we like. Those are the ones we're most impressed by. So if you got them, if you have a request that we got to do, then shoot it over to us. So. I guess the last thing that we got to say here is if you enjoy listening to the show and enjoy supporting the show, then head on over to the platform of your choosing that you listen to your podcast on and give us a little rating. Spotify has it. You can just click the five stars and you can give the rating that way. But also Apple has it too. Obviously, that's how people get their requests in and all that. And all you got to do is go to our homepage on Apple and give us a rating. Hopefully we've earned the five stars that we seek and leave us a little comment. And it's really, it's not for us. It's for the next person that is trying to look for Pearl Jam content and trying to say, if these guys are going to talk about my favorite show, is it worth the time? And, you know, obviously we're biased here, but we absolutely think it's worth the time. But a lot of people that listen to this podcast think it's worth the time too. So if you can help out in that aspect, it, will do us wonders and it just translates to the next person word of mouth is the best thing that you can do for this podcast so keep talking about us and if you don't i will which is trouble for everybody we're gonna close this one out (laughs) i can't say that with a straight face uh this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always Although it's Gunter's request for next week, it's also a big nod to our patron and great friend Aurelian, who has been begging for a Belgium show. Mostly rock worker shows, but we made it work for him, so that's a shout out to him. But for everybody else, 
everybody tune in next week. We'll see you there. I see you, Mr. B-Side. <laughs> <laughs>